Hi friends, welcome to She Said, She Said. I'm Laura Cox Kaplan. I've got a question for you today. Ever think about writing a book to sell your business or maybe fine tune your brand? Well, it can be a very daunting prospect. The reality is 80% of us think about writing books, but less than 1% ultimately execute on a plan. There's a whole host of reasons why that may be the case. It's hard and it's scary. My guest today is the amazing Robin Colucci. She is a book writing coach and entrepreneur who has advised some of the biggest experts on how to tell their stories and also help them decide whether a book is really in their strategic interests. I think there's so much that we can glean from Robin's story. One thing is that you have to think about the notion of a book as the strategic enterprise that it is. It can become very emotional, I think, for a lot of people, and that can be perhaps dissuading. So Robin's going to give us some great advice. She has packaged her advice. She wrote a book a number of years ago called How to Write a Book That Sells You. I will include links to her book as well as her website in the show notes for this episode. But today, she's going to pay it forward with all of us and share what you should know, how you should think about strategically, whether a book's in your best interest or not, and then how to begin to tackle that very daunting prospect. So with that, Robin, welcome to She Said, She Said. Thank you so much. I'm so thrilled to be here. Well, I'm delighted to have you and delighted to meet you. As I mentioned to you before we got started, I love your book. I ran across it few months ago and really thought it had amazing advice and perspective. So for the purposes of our audience, I'm sure there are a lot of people, women that are listening, who've thought, hmm, maybe I should write a book. Maybe this would be a good way to build my business or my brand. What is the most important thing that a person should do first if they're contemplating writing a book? Such a great question. I wish more people asked this question. <laughs> it would save so much heartache down the road. <laughs> um, the, the really, the most important thing to do first is to validate the book idea. And when you're thinking about writing a book that grows your business, uh, it's especially vital because it's really, you're investing your time, you're investing money um, that otherwise would go to other ventures and other uh, strategies. And um, there's a couple of things that come to mind right away to be very aware of. One is before you even contemplate writing a book to just really get clear that the book should never become the main thing. So your business is the main thing. The book is a tool to support the main thing. Mm -hmm. So you want to be looking at the entire picture of writing a book through the lens of how can I use this as a tool? to support my business, to support my mission. Not, how can I write a book so that I can have a business? Or how can I write a book so that my business will somehow miraculously grow while I'm painting my numbers, you know, in right. the back of it. Right, so I mean, it really, you have to understand, it can't help you unless you use it. And so you wanna be thinking first about the strategy you want to be aware that you're going to have to think about the strategy of how you're going to use the book. Mm -hmm. Now, having said that, the process of validating the book idea really begins with you and asking some very specific questions about why you're writing this book. Some of the questions that you've come across in my book <laughs> right, that are very important to highlight, how do I want to be known? Mm -hmm. right? You'll be known by your book you might've gone through something that was very difficult or challenging that you overcame, but unless it relates to your business and how you coach people or how you teach people or how you lead, do you want to be known by that challenging event? Do you want to be talking about that challenging event for the next five years? For a lot of people, you know, <laughs> the answer is no. And all your friends might be like, Oh my gosh, that was such an amazing thing you went through. You should write a book on that. It's like, well, Maybe you shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a really interesting 
point, especially for someone who coaches people on how to write books. You're not necessarily taking the tact that everybody has a book in them. No, I, I actually am positive that everyone does not have a book in them <laughs> and, and that it's, it's better if we only are writing books when we have a clear objective mm -hmm. of what do we want to say and who do we want to say it to. And that's the other thing about validating the book ideas, looking at who's going to read the book, why will they read the book, and they better be people that you want to bring into your business right? sure. <laughs> that you want to work with. Because again, your book will attract, you know, I get, I, people reach out to me, not every day, but on a pretty consistent basis that they've read my book and now they can't imagine working with anyone else. Okay. But you want to make sure that you, that whatever you say in your book attracts the right people and repels the wrong ones. So you have to know who that person is and what they want. And is it something you want to give them? And, and then you have to look at how is my message unique? Is it unique? Uh, I, I, I work with both self-published authors and traditionally published, mm -hmm. but I use the same metric on both because no publisher wants to put out the second book of anything, but there's a reason for that, right? <laughs> and really self-publishers should adhere to the same standard that you want to make sure that what you are putting out into the world, especially when your business is selling your expertise in some way, which is usually what we're talking about here, then it has to stand out. You have to be very clearly different than your competition. And not just your competition of like who else is advertising on Facebook, but I mean, who's a New York Times bestseller in your field? Because when you find that special perspective, that, that, that special sauce, that, that unique point of view, that you're bringing to this, to your expertise that no one else has. And you know, if they stuck you on a panel with four New York Times bestselling authors in your topic, but you could bring value to that conversation, you could be the one with the aha moment for everybody. That's a game changer. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't just change how good your book is. That will change how you show up in every single conversation you have. Yeah. Let's maybe dig in to another sort of element once you've determined what that big idea is, but, but talk about how you can use it as a tool to build your business, your brand. I mean, certainly to, to get, um, you know, mass attention for an idea perhaps, but really developing your business, developing your brand. Talk about some of the ways that a book, once it's well-crafted and thought through, how does it help a person? Well, it's such a great question. It's a big question. So I'll do my best to uh, hit on some of the, the key points. I think, first of all, it's good to think about how do you like to market your business? Because whatever it is that you know that you can count on yourself to do consistently, a book can probably help you do that. So one example would be if you like to do speaking, there's all kinds of ways you can parlay your book into creating speaking opportunities creating bulk sales. Mm -hmm. uh, one strategy that I've coached several of my clients who, who work in the corporate space, for example, you can actually, if you're thinking, I want to get a contract with a corporation so I can come in and, and do some facilitating or whatever it is that, that they need. If you approach it like, I will come do a half-day seminar for your team for free if you buy 100 books. So what you're doing is you're putting 100 copies of your book at full price, at full cover price. So that's $2,000. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, you could say it's an hour seminar. It doesn't matter. It just depends on, I'm just using examples. And you could say it's 500 books. You know, it just depends on the size of the team, et cetera. But the idea is you're getting in there. You're getting books in hands, which means, you know, there's, there's e-books are cool, but there's nothing like having your book sitting on someone's desk all day long. <laughs> sure. <laughs> right? There's nothing like having it in their house where they're going to walk past it and be, oh, yeah, I remember that. That was a really cool presentation they did. Right? Mm -hmm. And so giving, you know, selling those hard copy books. And then you've also created an opportunity for yourself to demonstrate to the people who bought the books and brought you in, wow, that was an incredible half day. What else can we do with them? Mm -hmm. 
And then that can lead to the five figure and six figure coaching, you know, consulting contracts that you could get at a corporation. So that's just one example. Mm -hmm. But what I, and, and of course, if you have, sometimes uh, I've helped people write books where their client is the CEO or the CFO of a company and that's it. That's their client. That's it. They get that person. They're making them, you know, they get 10 of those a year. They're making a million dollars a year or more. So in that case, maybe your strategy is to just get your book into the hands of a very carefully curated list and, and doing it in a very high level, tasteful manner that really gets you on their radar. And, you know, maybe if you send out a hundred books a year, you've just taken your business to seven figures and you never sold one copy, right? So it's really about looking at who do I need to reach? How many people do I need to get enrolled in my message in order to achieve my business goals? That might be one person, that might be a thousand people, it might be 10,000 people, it might be a million people. But when you're clear on that, then you can really craft the book to be speaking into the right target. Yeah, so a person really needs to have real clarity on what they're trying to achieve from a business strategy standpoint before they even begin to embark on this or maybe reach out to a person like you to say, hey, I really wanna write a book. You're saying get get real clarity on what's the business, what is the what's the bigger objective that you're trying to achieve? Exactly. Like they don't have to know the how because I help them with the strategies. I help them see the opportunities, mm-hmm. um, depending on what. But they but I think yes, you need to know. And this is why I I, I might be the I, I don't I don't I can't say this, but I have never heard another book coach say, "Don't write a book." Yeah. Um, and, and I, I say this often, even if it's don't write a book right now. And because something that I have a deep, deep concern about with this, I, I love that more people want to write books. I love that self-publishing is an option. But I do have one deep concern, which is if somebody is just getting started as a coach or a consultant or you know any kind of business owner that would, usually it has to do with some subject matter expertise of some kind. or Let's say they've, and they've never done it before, but they just have a good feeling that they, they could help people. That's nothing wrong with that, but it's not time to write a book. The other is a corporate, I call them corporate refugees, where <laughs> they've actually been doing the work for a number of years, but they've been doing it in a different context, not as a business owner. Uh-huh. And so they really haven't typically developed some basic skills like selling their services. Yeah. And the concern that I have, and I've seen people do this, is that writing a book's a lot of work and you will feel very productive while you're writing it. And you could easily tell yourself, I'm growing my business. I'm writing my book. But if you don't have a business yet, if you don't have clients yet, if you've never had the experience of saying, oh, I'm glad you're interested in my services, that will be $25,000. And somebody saying, oh, thank you. I will take that you know, or 10,000 or whatever it is you're charging. But if you haven't given yourself that experience, writing a book could hurt you because it will make you feel productive for about six months while your savings account is draining out. Mm. And you'll be paying a book coach money that you should not be spending on a book coach at that time. And that's a real problem in in the book coaching industry that that there are coaches who will allow that. I, I don't allow that. I don't know. I don't accept those clients into my private program. I do have a program where I, I can help them write a booklet where they can turn something around in six weeks mm-hmm. to get an like, authority piece. And that's more appropriate for someone at that level. But you know, you really have to think about it seriously as this is a tool for my business. So where am I in my, where am I as a business owner? Mm-hmm. And then do what's appropriate for where you are. Don't skip steps. Yeah. So you provide some really clear steps. Once you've determined that this is what you should do, right? You provide a five-step process essentially. And all of these steps are great. And some I think are more obvious than others. One that completely jumped out at me that I thought was absolutely brilliant is the idea of a personality assessment for yourself (laughs) 
before you start the writing process so that you understand what kind of a writer and what kind of a worker you are. I mean, maybe you already know this, but talk about how you discovered this or what, what this personality assessment means and how you came up with this idea. I think it's so smart. Yeah, I think I was talking with somebody because, you know, the, some of it is parallel to the, some of the Myers-Briggs categories, like the methodical master. I mean, I, I think I, I rephrased it a little bit, but I started to think about what are the different personalities of uh, some of the people I work with. And then I started thinking about the personality, like sort of I, just based on the books I've read, you know, what would be some of the personalities of, of some of the authors? Because what I discovered is there are certain personalities that sort of lend themselves to a certain style of writing. Um, like a methodical master is naturally a systems builder, right? So they're, they're naturally thinking sequentially and structurally. So obviously, if their topic has anything to do with like a, a way to teach it by steps, right? Step-by-step how-to kind of formula then that would be just slide very comfortably into their personality. While a spontaneous creative type person, they're, they're more like they have the vision board on the wall and they've, you know, they've got posty notes everywhere. Right. And, and they, they just, they, they think actually more holistically. Right. So they're probably going to do better of like, here's a bunch of stuff you could do in any order. Just, just read what, just read what speaks to you. Right. Cause they have that, that kind of, instinct so an organized list right where you're just like here's the topic and here's like I call it like the hub of the wheel here's the hub of the wheel and here's eight spokes around the wheel and each one of those is a chapter or whatever and then you know there's the people a lot of times people who are like more spiritually minded or you know those natural healer kind of types you can have healers who are methodical by the way but you know, the more metaphysical ones, a lot of times they like to tell stories, right? It's like that shamanic kind of, and so maybe they're more suited to writing a fable or something. Mm -hmm. um, and then you have those, those bloodhounds, the investigators, you know, who want to dig in and figure out every, you know, how something really works. And so I, I developed a quiz that you can take and figure out uh, what your personality is. And of course the town crier is is the, you know, get the news. Right. I'm going to be the first person to tell you this new point of view on how to look at an old problem. But what I really want to stress here, because I think that, so the, the purpose of the test was to show you what would be most comfortable and probably most accessible to you as a writer, just what would be natural to you. However, it doesn't mean you can't write in a, in a methodical master. As a matter of fact, I have a client who's an engineer who I helped to write a business fable. This is a perfect example. There was nothing in his personality <laughs> that lended itself to a fable. Uh -huh. But I was able to coach him to write what I think came out to be a really good fable. You know, it's a, it's a good read. It's I think it's I think it's a better read than some other famous business fables. I'll just leave it at that. Okay. Um, <laughs> and I'm assuming you can't name names. I don't want to. Okay. <laughs> I understand. You don't have to, you don't have to have, know much about business books to figure it out. But, <laughs> um, but, but yeah, so I mean, it, he did a really good job. Just, it just really helps give you a barometer of how much support you might need mm -hmm. uh, and what will feel natural to you. Yeah, I, I think it's such a smart way because it really helps you kind of hone in on how you go about it. And it just, it begins to demystify something that I think can be a very overwhelming prospect for a lot of people once they decide, yes, I really need this book. Let's dig into uh, another of those steps in determining the concept. And when you're looking for comparables, you're looking across at other books that are similar to, or sort of in the same genre as the book that you think you may wanna write, what happens when you don't find a book like yours? Does that mean it's a horrible idea or what, what does that mean? I am so glad you asked that question because I recently had a, an epiphany. And, and you know, one of the things that I love about my work is that I'm constantly learning. And I had an experience recently where one of my clients who helped women business owners 
learn how to charge what they should. Uh huh. So knowing your value, in other words. <laughs> and uh, could not find any comps. Mm. And so wrote to me and said, does it mean my book idea isn't valid? And I went, because she couldn't find any books. She found books on women in general mm -hmm. or, or women, like women being successful financially in general, or she found books on women in corporate getting more salary. Mm -hmm. And I said, um, no, uh, that means you have an underserved audience. And this is a very real thing. And then I really started to think about the publishing industry itself. I think, Laura, you'll appreciate some of these numbers where 75% um, of all authors are male. 96% mm -hmm. of all authors are not black. So if only 4% of published authors are black and about 6% are you know, Hispanic or some other non-white. So basically you have a, an industry that is 90% white and 75% male. And I, I believe that the publishing industry is now starting to look in the mirror and see this. I don't think that this was intentional. And I think that there are, and I'm seeing signs that they're proactively ever since that hashtag publishing paid me Twitter thing. Uh, I think that they are proactively working to address that, but we have a ways to go. And so something we always want to take into account when you're looking at book comps is if you're, if you are in one of those minorities, female, black, or uh, Hispanic, or you know any other underrepresented group, all of these audiences, people write about what they know. Right. So if 75% of the books are written by white guys, they're writing about what they know. So we have to take into account when we're looking at book comps, mm -hmm. am, am I coming from a place and writing to or about an underserved population because that is not a reason to say you're, you can't say your book's not relevant it's that it's actually really great news because it right. means nobody's written it yet and you better get on it because somebody yeah. will you know yeah how does that track with finding your core audience if it's sort of difficult you know you don't see that particular work that's represented then how do you how do you take this new concept and pivot it to finding who's the core audience who's going to read your book on a topic that is sort of an underserved audience does that make sense well yeah but i would say if you're writing a book to grow your business i hope you know who the who you're writing it for right yeah so i mean a lot of times people are already serving that audience and they're just they could just scale that impact by by touching more people. Mm -hmm. um, so really what I have my clients do is really get in touch with who is that ideal reader and, and really thinking of it as one specific person. Uh, what I have found to be true is, and I know you've seen in my book, The Marketing Bullseye, but what I found to be true is it's not even just like a patch of people. You could literally pinpoint one person and it doesn't matter what their income level is or education level is, like whatever it is, if they'd be interested in your topic, it's, it's not even so much about the demographics. It's about, I mean, obviously if it's for women learning to charge more, it has to probably be people who identify as female at least. <laughs> right? so, I mean, but they will, your ideal reader will have the main things in common that they need to have in common, which is their values, what they care about, what, what keeps them up at night, how they feel about the problem that they have, and whether they're at the top of their game or just getting started, they'll, they'll have, your ideal reader will have that, those things in common. Like every single one of my clients and probably everyone on my email list, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised, right, would say that one of their, their, their probably primary goal in life is to leave the world better than they found it. And everything else is after that. Money, fame, fortune, anything is after that. They have that in common. And I know that about them because I've seen it over, you know, a couple of decades, right? And that doesn't change whether they're a Nobel Prize winning scientist or a, a brand new college grad. Everybody on my team has that. 
has that value system as well. Mm -hmm. So if you can speak into whatever your topic is, if you're writing into the shared values, because, you know, there could be, like, just to, just to use that example of the woman business owner, right? There could be somebody who has a seven-figure business who still isn't charging what the value is and somebody right. just getting started who's not charging the value. But what's stopping them, I promise you, is similar. What's in the way is similar because if they have the similar aspirations and the similar value set, they're probably also have some of this similar story that keeps them from doing what they should. What, what yeah. They do. So it's just an interesting thing. So I, this is a very long way of saying, look at who's around you already <laughs> and who you're speaking to, and then really get attuned to what's driving this person emotionally, because that is where the decisions get made. That's where somebody decides whether to buy your book or not. Yeah. It's an emotional decision. And that's also where they decide to hire you or not. It's an emotional decision that's justified with intellect. Like we've heard that, but it really is. It's very true. Yeah. And especially books, people get so emotional about their books. Of course. Well, you're putting your blood, sweat, and tears literally into this particular product a lot like your business, right? Yeah. So yeah. it's a huge investment about your book too. Yeah. You ever see like somebody like who, who can't find a book that they love. It's a, it's a big deal. Yeah, you know, absolutely. You have a book on your shelf and it's, it goes missing. It's a big deal, right? How does all of this, so as you, as you talk about the value system, how does it relate to determining your why? Is it the same thing or is it different? Yeah, for like the why am I writing a book? Yeah. And I love that question because it's very funny because every time I ask a client this question, they always answer the next question on the list, which is what difference do you want to make in the world? Sure. So all of my clients don't see the difference. Yeah, and and you, you, you said a minute ago, like leaving the world a better place. Okay. That's, yeah. a, that's a nice why, but that's not what you mean in the book by exactly. determining but your I why. I always have to clarify it because when I say, why are you writing the book? They're like, well, I want to see this change and this change so that the world's better. I mean, whatever it is, it's so the world's better for anyone. And then I'm right. like, okay, well that's question five, but okay. So, <laughs> What I'm saying with the why is really goes to what objective, what personal and business objectives do you have? What selfish reasons <laughs> are you writing this book? Because we know you have the vision of how you want to change the world and make everything better for everybody. But if you aren't clear on the selfish reasons, you're going to lose leverage mm -hmm. on yourself. So, because it's really easy to be idealistic until the power's out and the kids are home from school all of a sudden and you can't get rid of them because, you know, or I mean, yeah. well, actually COVID, we don't even need to get the powers out. Right. You know, as soon as something happens, all that idealism about how I'm going to change the world goes out the window. So the, your personal I should really call it, what's your personal selfish reasons for writing the book? Because that's where you get the leverage, right? So it's like, well, if you can see how the book is an intrinsic piece to your taking your business to the next level, mm -hmm. or you're, you're finally claiming the authority that people who don't know half what you know or have half the, the value to give are getting all the credit for, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever it is. I'm talking, this doesn't even have to be, this could be some petty crap, you know? I mean, it, it, but you have to understand what's bugging you about not having the book in the world, right? Right? What really ticks you off when you see other people coming out with books and you're like, that's not even true. <laughs> I love that. Well, you should be angry. But if you can really get in touch with that, that's where you get that leverage over yourself when you don't feel like writing. Right. That's a really great way to think about that. I love that. I really love that. Okay, writing a book's hard. We've, we've already covered that. But let's talk about some of the biggest obstacles, maybe the most common obstacle that you see once a person has gotten to the point where they've determined the why, they've determined the concept, they've figured out what kind of personality they have and how they should approach this. Mm -hmm. Still, 
it's a yeah. big lift. So what are some of the biggest obstacles that you see your clients uh, bump into? I think the biggest obstacle of all is the lies that we tell ourselves about time. Okay. And what I mean by that is every single person that I work with is a, an incredibly busy, busy person, a ridiculously busy person. And when, you, when we look at a book and we say, okay, let's say on average, this is going to be 60,000 words, right? That's about 250 pages. So there's two illusions. One is time and one is this, the old elephant, you know, I got to eat the elephant in one bite. <laughs> and they're connected because if we think, oh, I have 60,000 words to write and I don't have any time, you will be frozen indefinitely. So, so you have to remove the obstacle of the illusion that time is the problem. Mm -hmm. Time is never the problem. The problem is that you haven't decided to write the book. And I'm borrowing this from one of my incredible business coaches, but it's, it wasn't his original idea either. But <laughs> it was not my original idea. But everybody gets the same 24 hours. And if you look at all the people who've managed to write books and you look at the rest of their lives, you're not going to tell me that they had more time than you do. Mm -hmm. So it's a decision. You decide I'm going to write this book. And then if you're writing it yourself, or even if you have a ghostwriter, you still have to put some time in, then it's really about incremental progress. If you do a little bit every day, you'll get it done. Mm -hmm. If you do it with help, you'll get it done faster and better, but you can do it on your own. And then understanding that there's never been a book written ever that was ready to publish after the first draft. And I think that this is actually freeing, right? Because at first it might be like, oh my God, I have to go through it more than once. Right. Oh yes. Oh yes. Many times more than once. I mean, sometimes I'm, I'm working on a chapter with a client. We'll be on version 15 before we, yeah. right? Not complete rewrites, but just refining, refining, refining before we say, oh, this chapter's done. Mm -hmm. And then you have to read the whole book through. And then you might be two or three iterations of that. That's just how it is. That's writing. Writing is an iterative process. But the relief in that is understanding that there's zero there should be zero expectation on your part that you have to get it exactly right the first time you write it because you will not do that. So free yourself of that limitation and just let yourself write what you have to say. And then you worry about saying it just the right way. Yeah. So write what you have to say, then say it the right way. Very well said. How about this big topic of imposter syndrome that lots of people and on this podcast, because I'm talking to so far, women exclusively, it is she said, she said, after all, <laughs> we talk a lot about feeling like a fraud or feeling unprepared, no matter how prepared we may be, et cetera, et cetera. You talk about this in the book. Let's talk a little bit about the, this notion of imposter syndrome in this context. How do you deal with it? How do you coach your clients to not let it get the better of them? Again, you ask such great questions. First of all, I want, I want all, all of your listeners to know that everyone, everyone has this to some degree or another. And like I said, I, I've worked with some people you like never believe that they could ever have that. Like, who am I to write a book? Would anybody be interested in my book? It's like, you're like, really? <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding me? Um, I think it's very liberating to know that, don't you? Right? right? <laughs> I do. <laughs> It's all, it's just all a matter of scale, you know, and they, they have the same insecurities that anybody else has. And so it's just a very human, natural thing. And um, I think that one thing that many of my clients have found comforting and, and actually even helped me to write my own book is just to remember that just because you're authoring a book on a topic doesn't mean that you actually have to know everything. All you're doing is presenting your best representation of what you know so far. That's all. It's, it is, it's going to be in print. Yes, you want to do your best to get it right, but you will evolve. You will, you will change your point of view on something. It's okay. Like your, your book is capturing your best effort in a specific moment in time. You should be diligent. You should do your best to make sure that everything is accurate. 
that you're checking your facts, that you're, that you're making sure that what you say is, is as true as you can possibly verify. But beyond that, you don't have to know everything. And you're just sharing the value that you have right now. And that is enough. It's enough because you're enough. And if you have the urge to write the book, you have the value. Listen, not everyone, I, this is hard to imagine for people who want to write books, but I got a newsflash. Not everyone thinks about writing a book. There are millions and millions of people. It never occurs to <laughs> if they would ever want to write a book. They're just like, absolutely not. I'm not interested. And so if you have that desire, I believe it's because you have something to say. Hmm. And so, and don't, you don't have to be everything to everyone and you don't have to know the most facts or any, it's just, you're just offering the value that you have to share. Right. Robin, you work with men and women. Yes. And because we talk a lot about Sometimes, not there aren't always differences between men and women on this topic of imposter syndrome or feeling like a fraud, but oftentimes I think it can present itself in a slightly different way in women and men. Do you see a difference in your clients based on gender or is it kind of fairly similar across the board? That's a good question. I have to think about this for a second because I haven't thought about it really in that way. Um, no, I, I would say. I think that women might be more likely to articulate it. Mm, interesting. To acknowledge that it's there. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But I, I can't say, or, or like the, the way that they would acknowledge it. Uh-huh. Um, Whereas a man might not they acknowledge might not it at all. say it, but I can sense it. Or mm -hmm. like it's the way that they say something else that tells me that there's, that they're feeling a little wobbly on it. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. There's a great quote in the many great quotes in the book actually, but one in particular that I wanted to highlight because I'd love for you to talk about it for a second. You write, you cannot author a book that sells you and be the same person when it's published that you were when you started writing. The very act of writing changes you. What did you mean by that? And what should people who are sort of thinking about this process, how should they think about this? I just got chills listening to you read that because this is so core to why I get excited about helping people write books. This to me is really what's the most juicy part. And it is, you know, there's a reason why people who write books are called authors. And if you think about the word author. It's the root word in the word authority. And I believe that that is not by accident. It's because the act of writing a book actually makes you a better authority. It makes you a better expert. It makes you better at what you do. And if, I mean, if you really approach it thoughtfully, right? Mm -hmm. And so this, this really ties to why I'm so against the write a book in a weekend, or we'll interview you three times and write your book, you know, and it's like, what makes you better is that you actually, it's, it becomes a self-inquiry, right? And it takes a little bit of time. Like you can write a really great book in three months, but not three days, right? And the reason is that you need that space to ask yourself, and as you're writing you know, sometimes the first time you write something, if you read it back to yourself out loud, you realize that's not what I meant. So then you have to figure out, well, how am I going to say what I actually meant to say? Because what I meant to say isn't, isn't reflected in the words that came out. Mm. And the more that you do that, you become better at communicating the true heart of your message. But you also, but before that, you become even more clear on what, what you're actually what you actually do believe. Yeah. And it makes you a more well-rounded expert who has a deeper understanding of your own work. And that's what makes you the author. The end result of holding the book up in front of the room, look at me, I'm an author. That's equivalent to graduation. Yeah. When you hold up your diploma and you go, wow, well, I graduated. 
the book is the diploma. It's not what made you, just like a diploma isn't what makes somebody a PhD. It was all the 20 years of schooling that went before that. A book isn't what makes you an author. What makes you an author is the process of writing the book. And the book is only evidence that you went through that process. I love that. That's amazing. That's really amazing. It gets to this notion of continuous growth and learning and evolution and potentially pivoting. I'd love to, I have 9 million questions, I swear. <laughs> and we're not going to get to all of them, so we may have to have you back. But I'd love, because it's a nice segue for you to talk a bit about your own personal evolution. You started in journalism. You were a business owner. You were a competitive gymnast at one point. You've had a very interesting career trajectory. And then, of course, starting your own business, writing your own book, all those things. Let's talk a little bit about your journey and your evolution and maybe how your own book changed you and really enabled you to own what you do. Yeah, it really did, actually, because I, I started to see some of the unique things that I was bringing to the conversation that I thought were just obvious, you know, like the four bestseller blueprints. I thought that was just intuitive, like everybody must know that mm -hmm. until somebody else pointed out to me, no, 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 <laughs> that's different. Uh, and so, yeah, so it helped me really see a lot of the unique things that I had to offer. It started, um, I think that the biggest shift that I've had, because I, everything you said is true, <laughs> but I guess what I'm really focused on right now is where I'm, is how I'm evolving today. Because the biggest shift that I had um, writing the book was going from thinking on a micro level of just like client by client mm -hmm. to thinking more on a macro level about, well, what is the impact I want to have on the world? And this is really, that was, I'd say, the beginning of a seven-year evolution, you know, because my book came out in 2013, which led me to where I am now, which is I help world-class experts write world-changing books. And I really think the decision to write my book was the beginning of that evolution. And what I got really clear on, and I do write about this in the book too, we all have an expiration date. So we get to decide what are we going to do with the time that we have and where are we going to invest our energy? And I got into this place of recognizing, you know, there's a finite number of books that I'm going to help write while I'm here. So I want to make every book count. And I got really committed to up-leveling who am I going to work with privately? But then, so that's when I started working with leading scientists and astronauts and Nobel laureates. Okay, great, cool. But then I was like, yeah, but what about other people who still need that authority piece? And how am I going to, I don't want to leave them in the dust. And so then I came up with this whole other program to do a booklet so that they're included, right? And then I realized, well, I can't run all this by myself. So I started to build team mm -hmm. and create opportunities for others. And surprisingly, I'm finding so much, like I didn't expect, I never expected that my desire to help change the world with books would lead to this opportunity to teach others to do what I do and create opportunities for people. Like I have five people on my team who are millennials or Gen Z, you know, three just out of college who probably wouldn't have jobs right now, <laughs> you know, yeah. if, if it weren't for, I'm able to offer them an opportunity. And so I think right now it's, it's about recognizing that, it, that I get to not just help get books into the world, but I also get to help develop people who can carry on that work. Yeah. And um, my, my path has not been a, uh, a straight line. It's, it's been more uh, like a lot of circles, um, yeah. but, but I, I also am so clear that every single step along the way was essential to my being able to be who I am today and be 
uh, growing in the way that I am today and helping the people that I'm helping today. And I, I feel very, very grateful. Yeah, really owning all those different elements of your story. That's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful thing. Okay, I can't skip this question because I think it's really important, even though it's a bit of a not secretary here based on what we're talking about. But we didn't talk about sort of the difference between traditional publishing versus self-publishing. And I think that's probably a question that would be on a lot of people's minds who are listening to this. So maybe give us just kind of a quick assessment of how, if you can, because <laughs> I know it's a big question, um, but maybe... Uh, exactly. Part two. Part two. But maybe just a little bit of perspective around how a person should think about the traditional publishing route versus self-publishing, because there are all of these options yeah. available that didn't exist, what, 20, 20, 25 years ago, right? Or maybe even less than that. No, it's true. It's, 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 uh, and I think that they're both, I'm glad that they both exist, because uh, the way that I look at it is, first of all, whether you self-publish or traditionally publish, you should be writing the same quality book. So never make the mistake of thinking that because you self-publish that, that you can have lousy content or fluffy content or borrow other people's content and not have your own stuff or not have a cool, a, a really professional looking cover because that'll only hurt your credibility. So you, if, if you're doing this to grow your business, it's gotta be indistinguishable. I should look at your self-published book and your traditionally published book and not be able to tell the difference, mm -hmm. you know, to, between one or the other. So that's number one. Quality is never on the table. Like quality has to be premium. H having said that, there's reasons to self-publish and there's reasons to, to traditionally publish. If you need it fast, you should self-publish because the traditional publishing route can take up to two years, sometimes mm -hmm. three. Average is 18 months from getting a book proposal going to getting a actually getting your book proposal to getting an agent to getting a publishing deal and then and then having them put it on their publishing calendar it, it's months and months and months self-publishing you could turn around a book in a few months so speed's an issue there you go if you have that highly niched audience that we talked about like you only need to give away 100 books a year to to really hit your business goals then traditional, you know, traditional publishing might not be the right way for you because maybe there's just, there's people who really care about what you have to say, but there's just not that many of them. So a publisher wouldn't want to buy that book. Um, you have to understand that if you are going to get a book deal, you have to do a lot of work to, to raise your visibility and the size of your audience and, and really what we have, what we call an author platform. So if that's not something you're willing to do, then you're going to be self-publishing, um, and so those are those are some of the the main things to consider. Mm -hmm. but what I would say, just to by the bottom line, it is it should always be a strategic decision, whether you traditionally publish or self-publish, not based on ego. So what I mean by and it goes both ways. Not I'm so important. I have to I have to traditionally publish, and not no one, oh, I'm, I'm nobody, so I could never traditionally publish. Mm -hmm. Both of those are wrong. So <laughs> you want to think about it, what makes sense strategically for, for your business. And if it makes more sense to, to traditionally publish, but you're going to have to do a lot more work to make that happen, then that's what you do. Because it should, it's strategy of why you're writing the book, what are your objectives, what do you need to accomplish with the book, should be what dictates which route you take. Do you close yourself off from future opportunities if you start with self-publishing, sort of knowing that, you know, this may not be a single book, but I could sort of envision potentially writing a series of books. Do you close off the option of traditional if you go the self-publishing route? Not at all. Not at all. The, the only thing you have to be careful of is if, if you're self-publishing with a mind that later you're going to traditionally publish, you better work your butt off to sell at least 10,000 copies of that book in the first year hmm. because they will want to know what you sold. And it can hurt you if you sold 200 copies of your book five years after it's out and you want a book deal. You know, when you buy a book and it has a little barcode, that's because it goes into something called book scan. And on book scan, that goes to 
a data reporting company and any publisher and any agent anywhere, anytime, they all subscribe to this, can go in and look up your title and see how many copies you sold. And that would, and if you're looking for a traditional book deal later, that will factor in. So yeah. just be aware of that. That's really great advice. Okay, Robin, one final question that I ask everyone, well, even though I have many, many more, as I said, but we're gonna, we're gonna close it down here. Um, I ask everybody for a single piece of advice, a life hack or a mantra. Uh, maybe it's something that you wish you had known when you were just starting out, or maybe it's a piece of advice that you give every person who walks in your door and says, I really think I wanna write a book. What would it be? A book, okay. Well, you know, the first thing that came to mind is something that's become my mantra for 2020, uh, because I'm sure I'm not the only one who's seen firsthand a lot of uh, dreams shattered. I, I found myself saying this uh, over and over again, and, and it, it still comes up, is that the key to delight is to adjust the ability to adjust expectations to match reality. Mm. And I don't, what I mean by this is not to not set goals or to lower your bar or anything like that. But what it means is I, to me, is it's about being able to accept and be present with what is and to find the joy that's there and I think, and, and to be able to appreciate what you have. Uh, and I think this, is, this really plays out in whether you have to adjust expectations with your clients, with yourself, with your business, with your children, whatever it is, and, and even with your publishing goals, right? Like just getting really clear, like, you know what? I'd love to have a New York Times bestseller and a, traditionally, and a traditional book deal, but frankly, I'm not willing to do what it takes if you can just get clear about that and adjust your expectation to match that and celebrate, but I want to self-publish and I want, I want to make sure that my 10 best clients get my book and then I, that's, that's all I need to do. Okay, celebrate it. Don't hold these expectations that are just not a match for the reality of what is. And so, the key to delight is the ability to adjust expectations to match reality would be my mantra. I love that. That's a perfect place to end. This was just delightful. I really, really loved it so much. It was a pleasure to meet you. You too, Laura. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. I appreciate you sharing your perspective. It was great. To learn a bit more about Robin Colucci, check out the show notes for this episode, episode 115. I'll include links to Robin's terrific book, How to Write a Book That Sells You, as well as to her website, robincolucci.com. As always, I'm grateful that you've tuned in. And if you ultimately decide to write that amazing book, I hope you'll let me know. I'd love to have you on to talk about it. In the meantime, take care and have a great day.